Kellogg's Pop-Tarts. Eat them in the morning, eat them in the evening, Kellogg's Pop-Tarts. Welcome to episode 19 of This Is You podcast. This is Carol Yu. And Scott Stewart. The jingle you just heard is from a commercial for the best food invention ever, Pop-Tarts. Later in this episode, we dive deep into the wonderful world of the Pop-Tart. But first, we speak with self-proclaimed dork Matt Armandiraz, celebrity food photographer, gardener, Zumba motivator, and one of the most upbeat and positive people you'll ever meet. Although it was a 20-year career as a graphic designer, art and creative director within the specialty foods world where he got his start, it was the photographic process that energized, thrilled, and motivated Matt enough to trade in his cubicle for a camera. Now, as a photographer, he loves capturing the moment and story of food for a variety of editorial and advertising clients, as well as various cookbook publishers and publications. He's based in Los Angeles, California, and he's never met a pizza he didn't like. After various jobs in the grocery business, Matt worked his way up in marketing, eventually leading leading the advertising campaigns for Bristol Farms. After he started his own very successful food blog, Matt Bites, he transitioned into celebrity food photography full-time. He has a very clean vision. His photographs are modern and exciting, catching the eye of large companies such as Target, Walmart, Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf, and Chipotle. We talk about his growing up in Texas, traveling, and he gives us tips on food photography trends. Matt also gives us the scoop on working on cookbooks with celebrities, Gabby Delkin, Layla Ali, Chrissy Teigen, and more. Welcome to the This Is You podcast, Matt. We are so excited to have you here. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much. Woo-hoo. Excellent to have you on the show today. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we did mention in the introduction all the things that you do. Have you ever accidentally worn your gardening gloves to a photo shoot or have you taken food into the workout studio? How on earth do you keep your life so organized? <laughs> you know, it's it, 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 it does overlap and it wouldn't be so bad if I did. I think the only thing that is a little frustrating is if I show up to a shoot completely sweaty because I was working out. <laughs> right. Because right. I, I cut it so close. But for the most part, you know, it's, everything kind of is all related. Right. And I think a lot of it happens at your location, correct? Like your gardening, correct. your workout, your... Mm-hmm. Well, these days, yes, 100% is mm-hmm. all in one place. But even in the past, you know, I was only going from, you know, my house to my studio and a gym and the garden. So it was a pretty small uh, little path. Do you actually have a separate studio outside of your house or is it a- attached to your house it's outside yeah Mm. it's it's completely detached yeah so is that where you're shooting your zumba also in that big it is that's my photo Ah, studio it's completely empty i'm the only one there so i was like wait a minute i can do this there and not have not i can actually have some separation Although I've done it from home before, too. I do like the fact that you have like disco lights or something happening in the back there. I'm, I'm so extra. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to interject with a quick Zumba story here. So we've been married for a little while, and it's kind of at that point in our relationship where she talks and I turn off and I talk and she turns off. So the other day, she's kind of around me talking and I'm doing some computer work and I hear, uh, man, Zumba class. That's, I kind of pick up on that. So I'm going about my business. We have a pavilion at the back here. And I hear this really awesome music going on. And I'm like, wow, the neighbors, because the neighbors are usually playing ACDC or um, 
uh, real strong hip hop music. And I thought, wow, that's a little different for those guys. So I kind of poke my head around and I look over and I see Carol underneath a tree in our backyard. She has the computer propped up on a stool and she's doing all these crazy <laughs> dance moves. And she's like, I'm doing Matt's class. It's awesome. It was so fun. It was yeah. so great. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Well, first of all, I hear you about marriage. I completely know how that goes. Uh, but second of all, no, I win. I'm so glad that you took the class. That's awesome. It's great. I always kept thinking before we were all quarantined, I just thought, oh man, I'm going to take some day, I'm going to get up early on a Saturday morning, drive down to Long Beach, half an hour away, and go into one of your classes. And this time now I get to do it at home. It's it's excellent. From the comfort of your own pavilion. It's excellent. Right. It's funny because it was... Uh not something anybody planned on, you know, after the mm -hmm. quarantine and Zumba, you know, because of music licensing, uh, we could never broadcast. And so they tempor temporarily lifted a restriction in the licensing. So they said, okay, you guys can stream live classes. You still can't record them, but you can stream them. Um, and that's kind of uh, where we're at right now. So um, it's completely taken off. I mean, I did it as a side thing, but because, you know, photography slowed down right now, um, I'm able to teach a few times a week and it's been such a great way to one, stay active and two, stay connected to people. So you mean that when I was watching the Zumba class the other day, I shouldn't tell you that I pushed the record button? <laughs> <laughs> you can do whatever you want. I'm the one that cannot. So. I see. Okay. All right. When you were a child growing up in Texas, you grew up in a large Mexican-American family. Who did the cooking and what was your role in the house? I ate. I ate every <laughs> single thing. So it's funny, uh, when I was a very young little boy, uh, we lived with my grandparents. So my grandmother cooked all the meals, um, except kind of on the weekends. She had she had it off so that we were kind of out there to fend for ourselves. Um, and then older, uh, when we kind of, it was just my parents and my sisters, um, my mom cooks, my dad cooks. Um, but because of that whole background, we all learned to cook. So I remember being six or seven and, my, and, and saying, Mom, I'm hungry and she's like well you know what to do you know mm. where things are at get in the kitchen and cook and so um it was great um because it kind of gave us the confidence to to know how to cook so what kind of things would you cook grilled cheese sandwiches mm. yes. um you know little kid things quesadillas uh, quesad yeah total quesadillas um i learned to grill early on because my dad was such a kind of grilling kind of dad so um was very comfortable at an early age firing up the grill and learning to cook that way too that's very cool so um when are we going to go to the hamilton island great barrier feast and stay at the qualia resort together it was phenomenal I cannot to tell our listeners what it is. Oh my good. Okay, so um it was it's a resort off of uh in the Whit Sundays in Australia and I had no idea Australia could look tropical like that in certain parts. Um and it and it basically is. And um I was a guest a couple of years ago to go and um stay there and there was there was a food and wine festival and it was just probably the one the, the most amazing experiences I've had. You drive around the, this little island in little golf carts, um, amazing flowers and animals, and the food was fantastic, and the bluest water I've ever seen in my life. Amazing. Yeah. I can't wait to go back. The only issue was, you know, I flew to Australia for four days, and then you fly mm. home, so I'm not going to make that mistake again. Right. <laughs> it's too much of a flight. When you were 10 years old, what were you most curious about? Probably at 10 years old, uh, we had taken a family vacation to Southern California from mm. Texas uh -huh. and uh, did the whole Disneyland 
did the whole Hollywood thing, but what really freaked me out in the best way possible was going to Universal Studios. Mm. Um, because it was like, whoa, movies, magic. But you know, you did that backlot tour and yeah. um Jaws. There were and Jaws, but you could see the uh, sound stages and set design. And I remember telling my parents, I was like, that's what I want to do as a kid. And they're like, What do you want to do? It was like, I just want to build rooms and put lights in them and do these kind of things. Um, I didn't really get there, but in a kind of roundabout way, I'm kind of doing that today with photography. But I thought it was so funny that this whole behind the scenes of, of the industry or, or film or TV was so fascinating to me. Yeah. You are very eloquent. You have an infectious personality. You can write really compelling stories and you have an amazing eye. So what's the next phase to Matt Armanderas? Well, thank you, first of all. Um, that's very kind of you to say. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I I see every creative endeavor. I mean, they're all related. So uh, whether a person sings or dances or paints or writes poetry, I mean, we're all on the same beautiful path of, of expression and creating things. So um, I don't know. I really don't know. I didn't know that I would enjoy fitness so much. Mm -hmm. So that's that's kind of different. But again, it's using music and connecting with people. I mean, I'm a musician as well. So it's it, it you know, it, it's still related. I honestly don't know. I, I don't know what what I'm going to be doing in a year, five years, 10 years, mm -hmm. who knows? Well, you know, Scott also is a musician, so I think you guys should go on the road and have a band. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Absolutely. <Yeah. laughs> what kind of instruments do you play? Uh, I play the piano and violin. Perfect. Uh, we'll get that named uh, shortly, and uh, we'll be out to see all you guys in your local hometowns. There you go. What do you play, Scott? I used to do the singer-songwriter thing, so guitar and uh, and sang and wrote songs. Oh, nice, nice. It was a lot of trying to get your friends to go to clubs at about quarter to 12 on a Tuesday night. You know, yeah, yeah, not so much. They'd come and see you once. Next week, you'd get a gig up in the valley. Hey, guys, I got a spot at one o'clock on Friday night. You want to come and see me? No. Not really. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. a little bit short-lived. That's hilarious. Hey, with the popularity of TikTok in the last few months, do you see TikTok as a viable platform for food? I don't know. That's a really good question. Um, I think that it's a little too uh, sudden, fast, quick to do anything with food other mm -hmm. than novelty things things. Right. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't know if you can educate uh, in, in a short space like that. Right. I mean, obviously serving suggestions. I mean, there was the TikTok of the guy who made tiny, 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 tiny pancakes and then put them in a bowl like cereal. Yeah. So that oh. was a good, that was a good, that was <laughs> yeah. a good serving suggestion. Yeah. Um, and then put, put syrup all over it. Um, but as far as, uh, educating and teaching, uh, people have to do things in the kitchen. I don't know about that. Yeah. I'll send you one of my daughters. She did one TikTok. She's done one. She, she goes to the Culinary Institute of America. And she's a bakery and pastry student. So, oh my goodness. And she was also on MasterChef Junior. She was the season one runner up. So, food runs in her veins. And she did one TikTok. Amazing. Anyway, I'm going to send that to you because it's very fun. And I thought, man, that would be a good way to actually do videos on TikTok. So, it's interesting, I think, from the point of view of I think kids' attention spans are getting shorter and shorter. And as an adult, I think you have to be aware of this and bake that into the TikTok, just knowing that's how kids take in information. And if you get into something that's, you know, like a five minute YouTube video, they're not going to watch 
watch all of it. They just click through it quickly. But with Dara, she was able to, like, she watches the TikTok video. So she was able to boom, 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 going through the video really quickly. And it kept your attention through the whole video. That's amazing. So I definitely want to see that. Because, yeah. I mean, obviously, because that yeah. she understands the space, she knew how to present the information. Right. Because I doubt she's going to make, you know, a laminated croissant dough on TikTok. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Oh, you know what? She made a shakshuka. That's what she made. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it was pretty good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll send it to you. Yum. So um, have you ever thought of doing your own masterclass on food photography? Um. Yes. It's it. Well, first of all, teaching is very difficult. So my hat's off to every educator, anybody who does it on online uh, in a classroom. Um, it's really, really intense um, because uh, there's just you're on. You know what I mean? Um, yep. And I've done I've done workshops um, and I've spoken at a few photo conferences uh, for two years. Uh, I've done the um, Gulf Photo Plus in Dubai and those involved wow. day long workshops as well. Mm -hmm. um, they're wonderful, but like I said, um, at the end of the day or two days or three day workshop, I'm literally just mush because mm -hmm. you know you're you're trying to answer every question that every student has. It's about food, so it's about every culture. Um, and then there's the usage of the image, what people want to communicate. So you're trying to discuss those things. So it's literally hitting every point of food photography from A to Z and then backwards again. I love doing it. I just have to do it every now and then, if that makes sense. And Matt, you're a giver. So I could imagine you just giving and giving and giving throughout the whole workshop. So by the end of it, like you said, you are just mush. It's that's exactly it. I, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I can't hold back. I overshare. I want everyone to get everything that they could possibly get out of uh, out of the time we get to spend together. Mm -hmm. So, um, so it, you know, inevitably it goes late. Inevitably we take it offline so I can review a student's portfolio that's outside of the the you know the lesson plan that kind of thing. But you know, I, I do love it. It's it it. it it, it's a lot of fun. It's just a lot of work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's just a note to you guys out there listening. If you get a chance to take one of Matt's classes, do it. Yeah, we have a lot of fun. <laughs> what would the title of your biography be written by Stephen King? Scary dork. Yes. <laughs> Scary dork. Very good. Love that. So here's another really serious question. You are given an unlimited budget to put up billboards around the country. What message would we see on your billboards? They would have pictures of people who grow our food, mm. who cook our food, who take care of us. Um, and this would have happened before mm -hmm. coronavirus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I, you know, these are the people that keep things going, uh, the people that serve us, that feed us, that nurture us, healthcare professionals, farmers, growers, dishwashers. You know, this food world is so big mm -hmm. and we get to see the fun part of it and the TV show part of it and the celebrity chef. But, you know, the people who grow the food every now and then somebody will rise to the top and become famous. But for the most part, the people doing the work day in and day out, they are faceless and nameless. So if I had all the money in the world, I would put every one of them and their story on billboards. Wow, very cool. So at this time right now, um, how are those people faring? It's a scary time. Um, I don't know if even people know how they're faring right now, other than just trying to keep their head above water, trying to keep food on their tables, trying to adjust to finding out how to continue to grow food that gets to people, you know, all those things. So I don't really know right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty sad. You're seeing all of these thousands of gallons of milk being, you know, thrown away and... Potatoes piling up. Exactly. Right, you know, all... 
all those things. And, and that's just, that's a tragedy. Uh, mm -hmm. We should have some type of infrastructure or better infrastructure to stop that from happening. To support all those people. Yeah. Correct. In your travels as a food photographer, what is the best compliment you've ever received? When I'm traveling as a food photographer, people don't really see the images unless I'm on set with my laptop. Mm -hmm. So that's a really good question. I think the funny one is when I am in a restaurant working and people look at the image, there's a common thing. They're like, wow, that camera's great. <laughs> 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 Which makes me laugh. I just laugh it off. Well, because you're using your iPhone, right? Exactly. Correct. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, as, as if it's the lens that makes the photo. Yeah. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the camera. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> so that that's something I get all the time and I just laugh it off. It's like, okay, whatever. You know, <laughs> just because next time I meet Stephen King, I'm going to say, man, that typewriter you use is so amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I got to get me one of those. <laughs> exactly. So we, we do some photography and video for food here um, in our studio. We did a video for chicken wings with Chinese pickles. How would you prepare a photo shoot for it? Well, that's, first of all, I'm hungry now because I bet that was amazing. It was really good. Yep. Yeah, uh, because I come from an ad world and worked in advertising and marketing, I'd have to get all geeky and like, okay, who's the target audience? What are we trying to convey? What's the message here? Yeah. All those things. Because all those things, I you know, I don't even have to say it out loud, but they all go into every image that I make just automatically because I've been doing it for so long. So I would have a quick conversation like, you know, what are we trying to convey? Is this a party? Is this to sell a product? Um, is there no message and we get to just make a fun image? So those are the those are my starting points. Um, a lot of times people don't know the answer to those questions. So it's a process and we walk along together to understand what this final image of those chicken wings and pickles need to do mm -hmm. other than look delicious. Right, mm -hmm. right. And also too, as you were saying, if people are having trouble, they can't come up with their own answers. That's what you're there for. You can give them multiple suggestions and ideas and how you would do it with all your experience. Correct. Right, right. So it's definitely a process. It's never like where, I, okay, I want to do it this way. I don't think I've ever been able to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, well, it's rare. I did have a honey client who said, just make beautiful images using our product. You can do whatever nice. you want. And so that was so liberating and wonderful. But for the most part, you know, they're paying me. So I've got to make sure that they get what they want. Mm -hmm. The flip side of that is there are times where I'm creating images of food where I have absolutely no say. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> There's no creativity. I'm literally putting things back into place of a layout. And mm. that's fine, too, because, that you know, I try to search for their creativity there in other ways. Is it my lighting? Is it a way to, to make it a little bit better than that mock-up they gave me? Those kind of things. Right. And you, as you said, you've shot all kinds of stuff from editorial advertising catalog people cookbooks what type of photography is most challenging and what is the most rewarding for you cookbooks are the most rewarding they are mm -hmm. the most fun you're given the most time the least amount of restrictions it's it's very collaborative they take time to shoot so you're looking at a week two weeks a month sometimes wow. and because of that you're not going to have everybody together every single day. So right there, you're kind of given a little bit more space to do what you need to do. You also have to remember when we're shooting a cookbook, we have one goal in mind, and that is to make the reader want to cook that recipe. Yeah. So beauty and appetite appeal, that's key. Nothing else matters as much as that. That's very liberating. The most difficult uh, would be advertising where 
you've got so many different things and requirements, not just, you know, food requirements, but you've got legal weighing in on a photo. I did the whole shoot for KFC once uh -huh. and I wanted to put in a napkin because they said, you know, they hired me. They're like, Matt, we love what you do. Do what you do for our product. Mm. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. I can light it this way. I can mm -hmm. treat it the subject the way I like to. And I put a napkin in, you know, just to kind of give some shape and like, and somebody was like, wait a minute, did that go to legal yet? Did legal oh approve that? Wow. Yeah, and it's like a napkin. Yeah. So wow. all these things, you know, yeah, you never think about it. Uh, you know, when you shoot fast food, a lot of times there's someone from the test kitchen there to measure the amount of food before the food stylist gets it so that it's accurate because you can't portray things inaccurate, you know, um, yeah. th that's oh, wow. just that that's not right. So there are those shoots where you're like, wow, sometimes I feel like my hands are tied. But at the same time, I'm like, no, this is their product. I'm here to make it look as good as I can and have the most fun with it. So those are the most challenging. They're never terrible. They're just really difficult. Right. You said that the most rewarding are cookbooks. I know you've done quite a few celebrity cookbooks. Would you be able to mention a few? Well, my best friend, Gabby Dalkin from mm -hmm. What's Gabby Cooking. I've done her. We just finished. We just had a book come out last week. Congratulations. Thank you. It's a beautiful book. I photographed for Layla Ali, her first cookbook that she came out with, wow. which was wonderful. She is every bit as wonderful as you could imagine. And I don't talk back to her because I don't want her to punch <laughs> me. Yeah. I listened to, a, she was on a podcast, actually an Oprah podcast a couple weeks back I listened to. She's amazing. She's so positive. And here's the thing, like, and, and you, what you see is, is what you get, but it's not this sugar-coated, happy, po you know, happy-go-lucky yeah. positivity. It's based in real life the idea that yes we all go through stuff but that should never stop us from being our best selves mm -hmm. never stop striving to do that so to get to work with her just taught me so much about how to carry yourself and how to uh, never accept anything less than what you feel is right also too just she has an amazing work ethic uh, you wouldn't even know she is literally always working, you know, but mm -hmm. she has a family too. And she's there for her family. And um, mm -hmm. she literally does it all. She is one remarkable human being. What's the biggest surprise you've had in the last few months and why? I mean, I feel like a lot of things are surprises. Mm -hmm. You know, you never know what job you're going to be doing. I was able to work with John Legend and Chrissy Teigen mm -hmm. on a few projects. Right. And I was surprised how much fun we had, you know, yeah. and how, and again, how how wonderful they are like um you know you you what you think of a person and you get to meet them and those kind of things yeah. it's so much fun and there's so much passion in what these people do so when they come to me that's contagious mm -hmm. and so i i love feeding off of that but also on the same hand i think that that's what you give off too so i'm sure they feed on it also well i would hope so yeah yeah i mean yeah i don't know i'm i'm just me <laughs> <laughs> So you, as a food photographer, as we talked about, you said that you have to set scenes for your photographs. So how do you evoke an emotion or a nostalgia? What kind of tricks do you have to do that? Well, I start with lighting because lighting is kind of, I mean, that's everything. everything yeah. I mean, you, you, can, you can ruin the most beautiful plate of food with bad lighting. You can also make the worst plate of food look spectacular with correct lighting. So that's kind of where I start. Say I'm working on a cookbook and it's all summer food. It's like, okay, well then I know that I'm going to have bright lights. I know what time of day I'm going to shoot this. I know that it can be hot, it can be warm. So that kind of frames the story. If I'm shooting a meal for one person that's mm -hmm. supposed to be served in the wintertime, it's like, 
then I can start using color to kind of remove information or to make things look like blue winter light, that kind of thing. Right. And also, you know, having traveled the world, um, I'm constantly tapping into the memory of travel because of things that I've seen. So just the other day, I had to photograph a Caribbean um, oxtail stew. Mm -hmm. And so, and and the notes were like, please make it look as as Caribbean as possible. And I literally went back to some images that I shot in Eleuthera and Nassau. Mm. And I was able to see surfaces um, that I was eating my lunch on because I was just taking snapshots. And it's like, oh, okay, this kind of wood that's been weathered this way, that's this color palette, because these were the colors that I saw on that part of the island. Mm -hmm. you know. And then I can kind of extrapolate that and put it into the photo so that I'm evoking that kind of feeling, that Caribbean feeling, or wherever uh, you know the image would have been taken, kind of thing. So to make it authentic, correct? Maybe not authentic, but to kind of uh, just a wink and a nod to that part of the world, kind of thing. Right. So you mentioned that you'll look at an old photo, see a background, and then pull up something that you may have. So can you tell us a little bit about your prop library or your surface library? Absolutely. When I started. Uh, was it 10, 11, 12 years ago with my studio here in Long Beach? We didn't have prop rentals the way we do now mm -hmm. in Southern California. If you needed props, you would go to Omega or a couple of other places in LA or the Valley. And those studios, I mean, those big prop shops were geared for film and TV. So if you needed six couches to fill a doctor's office, you could rent them. But if you needed a tabletop surface or two plates in yeah. a particular color, you weren't really going to get them. That's changed because we've had a few prop houses open up in the last three or four years here in Los Angeles, and that's mm -hmm. fantastic. Contrast that with the East Coast, New York, where everything was advertising and tabletop, um, and you could get anything you wanted, you could get it delivered, all that stuff. Wow. So because, yeah, so because of our geographical disadvantage, I had to start making things myself. So my backdrops, my surfaces, I started uh, painting, woodworking, all that stuff to make these surfaces. And then from traveling, uh, just started buying things that I that I knew I needed to put into my prop arsenal mm -hmm. you know whether it was this type of ceramic or you know, also based on trends and what people were doing that kind of thing and then it got to a point where we were having things made for the studio is from ceramicists and other artists mm -hmm. so that we had unique pieces it's been 10 years of building up a prop warehouse and um I finally feel like I've got most of the things I need so I can not, not be so crazy and freak out my accountant from all the shopping. So do you actually keep those all at your studio or are they actually pieces that you'll use in your everyday life? Most at the studio. Um, though There might be a few bowls that are so beautiful that I want to bring them home to use, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, I'll you know, if I'm at the studio and I'm like, oh, where's that bowl? It's like, oh, I took it home. And then, <laughs> you know, I have to remember it's a work thing. It needs to stay here. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, but when I have a party at home, you better believe I load everything up in the car so that I have all the plates and platters that I need. Mm -hmm. um, but for the most part, you know, my house is pretty simple. Everything kind of lives at the studio. Mm -hmm. Right. What is one thing which you know now that you wish you had known when you started out? To take better physical care of my body. Mm. Ah. I didn't realize the ease that I gained from getting myself in shape and how it would benefit me as a photographer. Mm -hmm. You know, we we lift things, we have gear we carry. Leaning over. Leaning over, squatting on the ground. Every single day that I'm shooting, I'm doing something that requires me to use my strength. And I didn't realize how much easier it became as I got into shape, that kind of thing. So if I could go back 15 years, I'd like to tell that chunky little boy named Matt, like, 
Hey, get on the treadmill, <laughs> lift some, lift some weights. When you have to lug six trips of, you know, 200 pound Pelican cases up those stairs, you're going to thank me. So <laughs> those kind of things. What was it that got you into Zumba and how did you start getting interested in more exercise? Pure vanity. I, I wanted <laughs> my clothes to fit better. And so I was like, you know, I'm going to approach middle age at some point and I should just kind of take care of myself now. Mm -hmm. I was so comfortable in my skin before. It was fine. It's like, you know, it was like food was life and, you know, abundance and all that. But then after a while, you're like, hey, I, I may not be able to move the way I used to. I started watching what I would eat, uh, kind of watch the portions, uh, and then, you know, just increase my physical activity. I was always doing stuff, but mm -hmm. I just probably wasn't doing enough of it. So moved to a new neighborhood, joined a gym. Um, I'd already lost a good chunk of weight, and I was on the treadmill, and I saw the group fitness room in front of me, and I saw all these cute little ladies dancing, mm -hmm. and I was like, and I was like, wait a minute, why are they all smiling in there? This is a gym. <laughs> right. It's like a party. They should be as miserable as I am right now on this damn treadmill. Right. So I said, I was like, you know what? I'm going to get off this treadmill. I'm going to pop into the back of the class. It's already started. They won't see me. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to try it because I think I've heard that that Zumba thing I heard about. So I did that. I got my ass kicked from lack of being able to move like that. It was difficult. I was a sweaty mess. I felt like I had two left feet. Mm -hmm. And so... So I was like, I'm not going to let this get me. I'm going to beat this. So I went a couple of days later, then a couple of days later. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's rows and, you know, in the class. And eventually I felt comfortable enough to just move up a little front, mm -hmm. you know, move up, move up a little. I couldn't see anything. I'm sweating. So I have to take off my glasses and I'm as blind <laughs> as a bat. So I was like, if I go to the front and I have to take off my glasses, I'll be able to see the instructor, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. And it just turned out that it was, I was like, wow, I've always liked dancing. I was mm -hmm. always dancing as a kid. I was like, I'm getting this crazy crazy, crazy ass workout from dancing. Right. Then you see your body change and you're like, this is fun. How can right. this be fun? There's, there's something wrong here. Yeah. And so then after doing that for, you know, six, seven months, the instructors in various, because I would go to different classes, you know, depending on if I wasn't shooting that day, you mm -hmm. know, or if I could find a gym where I was working, that kind of thing. Um, and that's when instructors are like, you know what? You should uh, become a teacher. You would really enjoy it. And mm -hmm. so I did. And that's how I got into it. And I absolutely love it. Yeah, well, I, I totally had a blast on Friday during the class. <laughs> Thank you. You were so infectious, and it just makes you want to continue working out. I used to do a Brazilian fit class, which was exactly like that. Uh-huh. And... Um, I haven't done it in, I don't know, maybe 15 years. Wow. So after about 50, I do go to the gym and I walk yes. and that. But after about 15 minutes of your class, I was like, oh my God, I get, <laughs> you know what? You were so fun that I just kept going and, and you just made it so fun and really exciting and just motivated me. And you're very good because you're just using signals to explain to everyone what's going to be happening because we can't hear you through the music. Correct. So that itself is something that was really quite amazing to watch. So if people want to participate in your Zumba class, how can they do that? They can find me on Instagram um, where I list the classes. Right now, we're still doing everything virtually, so anybody can take it. Hopefully, when the gyms open up again, who knows when, I'll go back to it teaching, you know, once or twice a week that, you know, in a gym. But mm -hmm. for the time being, anybody's welcome to join. Just uh, look at my Instagram. I post the schedule and the Zoom information. And you don't have to be a dancer. You don't have to have any experience, I will show you what to do. Do you think you and Martha Stewart would be good river dance partners? <laughs> 
I would be. Uh, I don't know if she can let loose enough right. to be a good dancer. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> <laughs> she might not want to. You know, she might be like, that's not for me, that kind of thing. Right. But, um, you know, I I was on her show 12 years ago. Yeah, that's why we bring that up. She cracks me up. She's mm-hmm. really, really a fun, funny person. She might have other suggestions other than river dancing. <laughs> right. Here's another question going back to photography. Why is it difficult to have food look good in black and white photos? The reason we take pictures of food is because it's something that we eat. We don't necessarily objectify it the same way we do art. And also, the color of food is an indicator of whether it's fresh, whether it's cooked or raw, whether it's gone bad, whether it's out of season. So those color cues mean that food tastes good. Mm -hmm. This is why you almost never see black and white food photography. Mm -hmm. You can see it a little more in the abstract, uh, you know, uh, a still life uh, where the shape and the lighting kind of mean more than the food. But for the most part, we really need and our eyes and our brains require those color callouts mm-hmm. to make the subject appealing. Here's ongoing discussion that Scott and I have. It's about the rule of odds in food photography composition. So typically I want to put an odd number of food items in a photo because I feel it's more interesting. Scott wants to put an even number of food items because he thinks that psychologically it indicates that you're sharing food with someone. So what are your thoughts on this? I'm a three five seven kind of guy (laughs) (laughs) thank you thank you the problem with what you guys are laughing at me now i do the editing on the podcast Uh, so we'll see if it makes it in there (laughs) there you go exactly okay having said that i have a lot of requirements to make things look like dinner for two Mm -hmm. so two plates so good save it's hey hey it's the truth it's the (laughs) truth um so you know it's like you've sat down this is a romantic dinner between two people or this is an easy weeknight meal for you and your partner that kind of thing so there are a lot of two setup two dish setups that that i photograph but then if i'm doing three i can still say that i'm sharing by taking one serving and opening it up or cutting something away or putting it closer to the camera with a fork in it to convey that somebody's gotten into it and that that you know, nobody's being left out, that kind of thing. Yeah. Your brain knows when it's right. Uh, there are moments where, yes, I have three or five of something and it doesn't fit the prop. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, ah, that platter doesn't work with only three. We've got space for eight and that's what's going to visually look the best. So those are just starting points. And then we have to assess what we need to do in the photo, you know, mm-hmm. to make it to make it work. Yeah. Is it a is it a soft drink shoot? You know, is it the bottle that's really important and the bottle goes here so I can't put anything around it? Mm-hmm. Those kind of things. But we just we start with that. We don't always end up that way. Right. How do you continue to learn in order to stay on top of your game as a food photographer? You create, you never stop creating. You just have to do it. Business-wise, you have to, but also as a creative person, I don't think we know anything but creating. You have the opportunity to introduce new things, try new things, envelop new ideas. You always have that moment to keep going and you see what works and that kind of pushes you in a direction. But then again, I mean, it's like, yes, we do get the equivalent of writer's block, you know, um, with things always looking the same. And that's okay. 
okay. You know, um, if you work a lot, then you cannot every single day, you know, churn out a masterpiece that nobody's ever seen before. It, that's just not how we work. So you have to understand that, you know what, that, that day spent in the studio, it was okay. It wasn't my favorite. Yeah. I know that I'm going to get there. And when I say that about my work, you know, the client's like, Matt, it's fine. It's beautiful. We love it. It's mm -hmm. just like, okay, I'm glad you do. Mm -hmm. You know, I've just done it before. I wish I could have put it on this plate, but I understand the parameters of the shoot, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. But I know that I have the ability to keep working. I have my own studio. I'm married to a food stylist, those kind of things. That's what keeps me going. Mm -hmm. Also taking a break from it, you know, um, and making sure that I give my brain that time to shut down the, the food photo part and just take a break. I'll come back in a couple of days. I'll come back in a week, that kind of thing, mm -hmm. just to kind of, you know, refill that cup with creative inspiration. I wonder, do you get inspiration from other cultural events and places like museums, um, you know, art shows, music, that kind of thing? Every single thing. Mm -hmm. Every single thing that I encounter becomes filed in my brain, uh, whether it was, uh, you know, a, an installation where the color was beautiful or uh, an inspiration where this looked, you know, a certain thing. Um, because art and, and travel and food and color and smell, all these things are, are really important to me. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I try to either jot it down, take a picture, make a mental note and mm -hmm. find a way to incorporate those things. It might be subconsciously that those things make their way back into my work, or it might be something that's like, oh, I that was a beautiful uh, installation of cutout paperwork that I've seen. Mm -hmm. And is there a way that that my table surface can can recreate the striking beauty of something being cut out or black and white or backlit, that kind of thing. Right. Why is it a trend that food bloggers blow out their highlights? And it seems that many of them shoot with an extremely short depth of field. It's interesting because this question comes up now and then, like every couple of years. Um, and, and people are saying, why do why is everybody shooting this way? In the 90s, it was like, why are we doing this selective focus off lighting? Mm -hmm. Right now, it's like, why is everything hard light and things blown out kind of thing? Mm -hmm. It just, you know, we you have to understand that there's trends that people do, that people follow, that people feel comfortable recreating for themselves. There's also technology. I mean, the iPhone is the reason why everything is shot overhead now. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a time in the studio when I could not get a client to ever let me shoot anything top down overhead. Mm -hmm. No way. They were so against it. And mm -hmm. I was like, nope, this is what we're doing now. This is, you know, and now everything is overhead. So much so that on this last book I worked on, I was just like, uh, we're capping the overhead shots at this number and right. we got to get back to to seeing food the way we used to, you right. know, mm -hmm. so that we're not so locked into a trend. But it, it, to answer your question, it just goes back to trends and mm -hmm. what people are doing. Sometimes they only can do that because of technology limitations. Mm. You know, they're not shooting with the DSLR. So all of a sudden their latitude for F-stops is really limited. So yes, you're going to lose those highlights. Or yes, you're going to lose those shadows, that kind of thing. You know, technology can remove a lot from us, but it also can be very freeing, you know, mm -hmm. um, to where like, this is as good as a photo as I'm going to get because I'm on my iPhone and I'm fine with that. And I love it because it was taken with friends and their backyard and that and the, the spirit is more important than the technology in, in behind it, that kind of thing. As a person that had a successful food blog, what are the most common reasons food blogs succeed or fail? I think in the people 
that it started when I did it, obviously I haven't done it in years, mm -hmm. it comes back to the person uh, and their personality and their voice and if they are authentic or if they're a horrible person and they're funny, you know, I mean, all these things. But it, it comes back to doing to, to, to what that person can do that no one else can. Anyone can bake bread and put it on a blog, you know, mm -hmm. only one person can talk about it in a certain way that's very engaging and funny and hilarious and embarrassing or self-deprecating or even aspirational. Like mm -hmm. I moved to the South of France and look what I'm cooking in my beautiful kitchen and you'll never have this, you know, those kind of things. Right. It all comes down to the individual. And I believe that's what makes a successful blog. I have one more question and then we're going to have a round of quick fire questions. Whoa. What do you think your unique skill is that has helped you to become successful? Smiling. Oh, uh, yeah, I think that works. It's excellent. It's like, honestly, I think it's a smile and that just, I think that means that if we expand it, it just means that I try to go into every situation with an open mind and an open heart and try to be as positive as possible. I feel like in my career, the thing that's helped me in all these things that I've done is the fact that I can smile and it's kind of like a secret weapon. Yeah, and you do have a great smile too. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so now we're getting into our lightning round quick fire questions. Okay, on a scale of one to 10, how good are you at Riverdance? I would be a two. <laughs> First band you were really into? Uh, Captain and Tennille. Oh, I love that. I actually, that was one of the first albums I bought. <laughs> What's something for which you are deeply grateful for right now? My parents. Are they still in Texas? They live in Texas, um, but they're, I'm, I mean, I just turned 50 and I was able to celebrate my birthday with them. I mean, like how many people get to say yeah. that? So, yeah, congratulations. Um, like, yeah, thank you. And they're the coolest, sweetest people on the planet. And so I'm, I, that, that's the answer to my question. Favorite meal when you were a child? My mom's cooking, uh, enchiladas, beans and rice. Favorite place on earth? Anywhere there's wine. Uh, oh, <laughs> God, that's, that's a lot of places. That's true. <laughs> That's good. Who was your favorite character on Gilligan's Island? Probably the professor. Mm -hmm. Who have you enjoyed talking with more, Carol or myself? Remember, there is no right answer unless you choose me. <clears throat> Both equally, 50%. Yes, right answer. There you go. Excellent save. <laughs> Thank you so much. So where can our listeners contact you online and through social media? Well, I am on Instagram at Matt Armendaris. Um, and uh, same on Twitter, just Matt Armendaris. And my website is just mattarmendaris.com. Oh, so, easy. Um, yeah, it's the same. Uh, that's the benefit of being an early adopter and having a crazy, crazy last name. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, but mostly Instagram. I think that's where everybody's at these days. Yeah, I love your Instagram feed. I love the fact that you put the little squares around each of your photos. They need some breathing space. You mm -hmm. know, I don't, I don't like the things to jet up next to each other. Mm -hmm. It drives me crazy. Yeah, I've tried to do that, but somehow mine can never look like yours. No, I think it's the photos, <laughs> Carol. <laughs> Okay. Thank you so much, Matt. It's been fun. Thank you. Thank you guys so very much for this opportunity. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye. It's the last week for the $25 Amazon gift card giveaway. Through May 19th, 2020, you can still enter. It's simple. Just go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe to, and leave a review of This Is You podcast. We will choose our favorite review and announce the winner on May 19th on the podcast. Scott, I wanted to talk today about a food that's the same age as me. What? 25, Carol? Yeah, no, that's my daughter Elena's age. I'm talking about the strongest breakfast brand for Kellogg's, Pop-Tarts. 
They are 56 years old this year. Can you believe it? They were born like me in 1964, and then the frosted version came out in 1967. Scott, did you grow up eating Pop-Tarts? I sure did, Carol. Thanks for asking. Our family dentist used to hand them out for free to drum up business because they were sugary sweet. And as a kid in our household, we could only eat sugar. In our family, we never ate Pop-Tarts. I think the only time I had them was when we went to Chinese family camp when I was growing up. You could buy Pop-Tarts at the hotel snack bar. I remember getting these unmarked white envelopes that had some kind of dry pastry inside that was somewhat squishy when you pushed the packet between your fingers. I don't think I've ever eaten a toasted Pop-Tart. Are they better when they're warm? Let's define the word better. Well, does the frosting on top get warm and melty? Yeah, I don't know about that. So those of you not familiar with Pop-Tarts, they are toaster pastries with a sugary filling sealed inside two layers of thin rectangular pastry crust. Most varieties are also frosted. They're pre-cooked, which is how I was introduced to them, but I guess they're supposed to be warmed inside a toaster or a microwave oven. Before Pop-Tarts existed, Post Brand was in the process of creating a shelf-stable, fruit-filled pastry. They unveiled their upcoming country squares well before they were ready to hit the market. So the press ate it up and so did Kellogg's. While Post was busy messing around with their recipe, Kellogg's took full advantage and swiftly began working on their own. So only six months after Post announced their country squares, Kellogg's had not only come up with their own fruit-filled pastry, but had already introduced it into the test market. So you snooze, you lose, Post. How did Pop-Tarts get their name? Well, Kellogg's wanted something with more of an edge than country squares. At the time in the 1960s, Andy Warhol was a famous American pop artist. He was super popular. He led the pop art movement. So Kellogg's decided to take a cue from pop culture and name their product after Andy Warhol's work. So from pop art came Pop-Tart. When Pop-Tarts first came out, they test marketed them in Cleveland and they were totally an instant hit. Kellogg's sold out all 45,000 cases of each flavor. They were unfrosted and in Dutch apple, Concord grape, raspberry, and brown sugar cinnamon flavors. Really soon, they were in millions of American kitchens, taken as snacks to offices and college dorm rooms. They also sell them in Canada and the UK. Kellogg sells about 2 billion Pop-Tarts every year in the U.S., They have 31 varieties. The most popular nowadays are frosted strawberry, frosted brown sugar cinnamon, and s'mores. Okay, now a lot of people don't know this, Carol, but some of the flavors they invented never really quite caught on. I mean, they went out in test markets, and growing up, we happened to be in one of those test markets. I remember a couple of the flavors that they put out. There was a vinegar cyclone, old melon, And my favorite was toothpaste, which was genius because it was like you were brushing your teeth while eating a Pop-Tart. However, they did come out with a beer Pop-Tart. It was very popular for a while, but apparently there's some sort of law that prevents kids from having beer baked into their morning pastries. And another interesting fact about Pop-Tarts is how they were invented. The chief food engineer at Kellogg's at that time was working on a jam recipe. 
During the process, he actually dripped some of the jam on cardboard. He looked down at it and he thought, hmm. He picked the cardboard and jam up, tasted it, and Pop-Tarts were born. Thank you so much to Matt Armanderas for joining us in today's conversation. I have definitely caught the Zumba bug from you. We appreciated the peek into the world of cookbook photography, Zumba, and Matt's infectious positivity. Please take a couple minutes to give us a rating and review on iTunes. You might even win a $25 Amazon gift card. The more reviews, the more awareness will be brought to This Is You podcast. As always, we really appreciate your thoughts and feedback about the show. You can reach us on Instagram or Facebook at This Is You Official, or you can leave us an anonymous voicemail at 562 562- 291-6037. We listen to all the voicemails. Thanks for listening to the show. Have a great week. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys.